Hello and welcome to the ACA Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting. If you would like to attend this meeting live, go to adultchildren.org and click on online meetings and then scroll down to find Thursday at 6 p.m. Pacific Time. I'm happy to introduce tonight's speaker, Julie, from Phoenix, Arizona. Thanks so much, everybody. I'm really happy to be here tonight, and I'm excited to uh, share my story. Um, I'm happy to be of service, and uh, welcome to all newcomers. Happy you're here. I hope I'm able to help someone with my story. I'm never quite sure when I'm sharing if anyone's listening or getting anything out of it, but um, I hope someone gets something out of it. Um, I'll talk a little bit about my story and then um, I'll talk about my experience with the steps. If I get through all of the steps, awesome. If not, I'm okay with that too. I've already made peace with it. <laughs> um, it is kind of a tall order. So I'll start with where it all began with my family of origin. I grew up the youngest of four and um, I was born into a military family. My uh, mom was an alcoholic, workaholic. My dad was an enabler. And he, um, his side of the family was, they were kind of a rowdy bunch. So they were kind of outlaws. There was definitely a rest like back in on his side of the family. Um, my mom's side of the family was a little less known um, there was abuse, there was alcoholism everywhere, um, but there was abuse on her side. She didn't really talk a lot about her extended family, but my dad's side of the family, we did talk a lot about um, and had contact with them. Um, we moved around a lot. So we, so like I said, we were a military family. We moved around a lot. And um, some of my earliest memories were fighting my parents fought a lot uh, when I was growing up and I remember a lot of arguments. Um, even some of like one of early, early, early memories. I remember my dad holding me as um, he was taking me to bed and my mom was like following behind him, trying to like um, trying to get a rouse out of him, arguing with him. We ended up landing in New Mexico uh, probably when I was in like kindergarten and that's where they got a divorce. Um, I remember after, I, I remember my mom's behavior was really explosive. It was very dramatic. There was a lot of yelling, screaming. Um, I remember one time my mom drove her car into, like she slammed her car into the back of his car, into the garage and the garage door like fell on to his car. And it, like, I was little, I remember just being like, Oh my God, like what's going on. This is like, it, you know, it was a lot for a little kid to take in. Um, the cops were always called to the house. So I remember having a lot of shame around that, like getting on the school bus the next morning and just feeling like everybody was kind of like staring at me. Um, maybe they were, maybe they weren't, but that's definitely how I felt. Um, they, there was a lot of door, like slam doors, holes in the wall, things like that. Um, 
So once my parents got divorced, then the fighting continued, but it was just with us siblings and with my mom. So she was a single mom, four kids, no education. And, um, and it was hard. She, I mean, we all fought like cats and dogs. Things really kind of spiraled out of control. Um, there was sexual, sexual abuse. My brother was my perpetrator. Um, so that was like devastating to me as a kid. I looked up to him. A part of that was like that betrayal of like me looking up to him and, and using that to perpetrate was really a hard thing for me as a kid. And it's hard. It's still hard today. Um, my parenting style, my mom's parenting style was very harsh. It was very critical, perfectionist, always pointing out uh, the things that I had done wrong, even after I had tried like my absolute hardest. At some point she did remarry um, my stepdad and he was another codependent figure, um, but he was more of my father figure. He was the one that took me to soccer games, soccer tournaments. He took me to my job when I was old enough to work. Um, and, but he, he protected her to a fault. So she would act in these really irrational ways. And he was like by her side, no matter what, never said anything, um, that would go against her or anything. And it really affected us. It really affected like how I was able to speak up. That was really kind of the don't talk, don't trust, don't feel, um, when that kind of set in. He reiterated that. He was like, don't say anything to her. Don't, you know, you're not allowed to talk back. It's our way or the highway. And we knew, I knew at a young age that like, you know, if I fought with them, like they would, I mean, I was like 10 or 11 and they would like threaten to kick us out. Um, so at a very early age, I'd experienced all this stuff, abuse, uh, fighting, neglect. The neglect was really hard. Um, the abuse was found out at some point and nothing was done. So the relationship with my mom, my father and my brother were the most uh, troublesome. My mom was mostly the alcohol, was the alcoholic workaholic, verbally abusive. My father, he took off once they divorced, he was gone. He was unavailable for most of my life. Um, and then the abuse from my brother was really what resonated with me, um, you know, well into my adult life. So to cope as a young teenager, I began to party. I was uh, experimenting with drugs and alcohol at a super young age, uh, like hard drugs, like LSD hard drugs at like 12. Um, somehow I made it to college. <laughs> uh, that's kind of a miracle. My sister, I kind of credit her for that. Um, and in some ways I credit my mom too, cause she was, you know, even through all of this, like going, doing all of this work, I've been able to kind of look back and see some of the strengths that my parents had. And she, I mean, she was a single mom with four kids and she pushed herself through college. And I remember being a little girl going to um, college classes with her and uh, it definitely impacted me, but, uh, but somehow I made it to college. Um, I met my first husband there. We, <laughs> drank a lot together. So it was, it's really, it's almost, I mean, I used humor and laughter in my story a lot, but it's like, I think back to like how I met this guy and how we used to interact. And um, 
how I thought that that was a good idea, I'm not sure, but we would bar hop, we would, I mean, we, we were really reckless um, and dangerous at some times, um, but we ended up getting married. He, uh, and started our careers together, things like that. He ended up also being a workaholic, alcoholic. Um, I divorced him in my mid twenties. And I thought I was like, I'm going to get out of, out of New Mexico. I was like, if I could just move and get away from this stuff, um, I'll be okay. Like it'll, I'll just leave it behind and it, I'll just start over. So um, I moved to Arizona. My sister was li lived out here and that was about 12 years ago. Um, lo and behold, I, of course, I started dating again and I started dating a guy and the relationship was exactly like my first husband. <laughs> and that was the first time, the first light bulb that went off for me where I was like, oh, maybe I'm the common thread through this. Cause I was like, I remember being really confused that like I was all the way out in Arizona. I was like, how did this happen again? Um, but it wasn't dramatic enough. It was just kind of like a, like a casual relation. I mean, it was just like, we only dated for like a, a couple months, but still I was like, I'd seen some red flags and ended it. And then I started to get into counseling. Once I got into counseling in my late twenties, um, all of the childhood stuff came out, all of the trauma, the abuse, everything. I started doing, I got a good counselor and I started doing CBT, uh, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, where I started looking at my thoughts and feelings and my behaviors. Um, and I did trauma, trauma work. So I talked about the abuse in depth, like all of the stuff. I mean, I basically cried for about a year um, getting all that stuff out. Um, I confronted my family at the time and like blew the lid off of the abuse, um, experienced another abandonment from them. They like didn't want to have anything to do with me. They were very upset. They didn't want any of this to come out. So that was another like re-traumatizing of uh, the abuse. Somehow I made it through that. I mean, I did a lot of counseling. Uh, my counselor at the time had suggested that I go to Al-Anon. So I started going to Al-Anon. That was kind of like my maintenance. I figured like, oh, I got through all this trauma, CBT. Al-Anon is, you know, this is, this is great. And I loved Al-Anon. I had such great recovering Al-Anon. It was the first time I like learned how to listen to people. I learned how to like be in a, a sane group of people that were, you know, we would just sit around and read these books and talk about healthy things. I'd never experienced anything like that before. Um, so, you know, I thought I was on a good, good track. Um, I started dating another guy at the time and, um, and, you know, I was kind of like on autopilot, I guess. So it wasn't long before that, uh, like midway through my marriage, I, um, lost my mom and I had some pretty bad medical problems at the same time too. Um, physical pain, things like that. My second husband, who's my ex-husband uh, now, his drinking started to escalate and our marriage just started to like split in two. Um, I started to see a lot of similarities again of my childhood. Um, 
at this point, I was probably the most depressed I had ever been. Um, after all of these losses, you know, I'd done so much work. I wasn't sure what was going on. I like my Al-Anon program had kind of plateaued. I wasn't sure why I was so angry and, and, um, depressed and, um, I'd lost myself. I mean, I was in this relationship and, uh, we had gotten into a pretty bad fight at one point and it had gotten physical and that I considered to be my rock bottom for getting into ACA. I was devastated. I, at the time I knew it was over, but I was just so depleted and, you know, stuff like that takes time to separate from people. Um, but that was when I asked for help again. And I was like, okay, I need more help. I need something different. I don't know what's going on. Like I'm back kind of where I feel like I started and I need to, um, I, something needs to change. I'm, I'm miserable. So thank God for Al-Anon, somebody in one of those meetings was like, have you ever tried ACA? <laughs> and I went to an ACA meeting and of course I was like, oh, okay. Like, this is what I need. Like, this is, this feels fresh. This feels new. Like I need to be here. I need to work this program. And I'd been in Al-Anon enough where I knew I needed to get a sponsor and start working the steps and all, all of that stuff. So, um, so I did that. I started, you know, talk, you know, trying to, you know, reaching out on the phone list, stuff like that. Um, I found a sponsor, worked with her, started working with her, started working the steps. And um, something that was pretty cool for me was somewhere I heard to read the solution first before starting the steps. And I think it I think it was on the Tuesday Toolbox podcast. I'm not sure, but it was really helpful for me. And I'll try and highlight tools or things that, that helped me when, when I can throughout my talk. Um, but it was really helpful for me because I was super unaware of the critical parent, the negative tapes that were rolling in my head at that time. And it, it, it started a, a positive conversation with myself, even though it was like a fight at first. It was like these these two people in my head that were like fighting. Um, but it was a really important step for me to at least start that foundation of trying to be nice to myself. I mean, I had this voice in my head that was just, that wanted to die. I mean, I literally wanted to die. And I had to have a, a real like moment with myself where I like had to make a decision of like, I can't go back to that. I can't go back to talking to myself that way. I have to change the way I talk to myself or I'm never going to get better. And that was a real turning point for me. And I credit that with some of the affirmations in that, um, the solution um, and the mirror work. So I did those affirmations and I started to look at myself in the mirror. It's interesting. I never realized how I wasn't looking people in the eye and once I started to look at myself in the mirror, I mean, I just first was like, started to cry. Um, but I, I realized I wasn't really making eye contact with people. Um, so that was the start for me. And, and I realized why I had tried to do the steps in Al-Anon. And I, of course I got to step four and I just like <laughs> couldn't do it, couldn't get past step four. I had a great sponsor in Al-Anon. 
um, but I couldn't, I just couldn't quite get the program go, going for me. So um, I outlined the solution, started doing that, started doing affirmations. Um, and then I started the steps. I started step one. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about my experience for those, um, for how that went for me. Step one, I like that it talks about um, surrender and hitting bottom. And like I said, like that first, that, that fight with my um, husband at the time, that was for me, was kind of like the rock bottom for me. Um, I knew I needed more help. Um, so, you know, for me looking at step one, um, it was really interesting to, to really look at all of the stuff that had happened. Um, looking at the authority figures, the powerlessness, like all the authority figures in my life were alcoholic, they were perfectionists, they were sick, the sexual abusers, um, emotionally ill perfectionists. And so it kind of, I started to like make connections of like, okay, this is why I have a hard time with all my bosses <laughs> at work. <laughs> this is why I'm like, I, you know, struggle to, you know, take direction from people or I become overly um, authoritative or, you know, like some of these people that um, I grew up with. Um, the dysfunction, you know, mapping out the, um, the family tree, it was like it, the train had already left the station, like by the time I had gotten there. I mean, it, everything was in place. It was going. It was all already happening. Um, and it, I mean, they, they, I mean, that yellow book makes you answer so many questions that it's almost like an over <laughs> explanation of like how, why everything was already out of your control, out of my control by the time I had already gotten there. Um, and there's really nothing that I can do about it. So, um, yeah, it talks about all the don't talk, don't trust, don't feel, um, powerless over my family's behavior. And I'm still working on this stuff. That's the thing about this program. That's interesting is that even doing this preparation for this tonight, um, I was in my therapist's office and I was like, God, I'm still doing it. Like, I'm still like wrapped up in my family's behavior and, how they should have acted or shouldn't have acted. Um, so, I mean, I guess I thought I had power over their addictions. I must have. I mean, I had a lot of passive aggressive behavior. Um, I used to get mad at my mom a lot when she was alive and I feel bad about that now, but I'm, you know, I've definitely worked on forgiveness with that. Um, none of the stuff I ever did ever worked <laughs> with any of them. Like, it didn't matter what I said to my mom, what I did, like, her story was going to happen the way it was going to happen. Um, and I started noticing my patterns with, you know, with the people that I was choosing to be around and how they mirrored my uh, relationships as a kid. And then just the sheer unmanageability that I had um, developed as an adult. Um, the people pleasing, losing myself, the perfectionism, um, uh, connecting all of this to the past, past was like a really big thing for me. Um, I'm going to try. Oh, and talking about the denial. As a kid, I, you know, I like how it makes you um, answer those questions about how you had to rely on abusive people as a, as a kid. Uh, my mom used to do things like she would take food away. She would threaten to um, 
I mean, she would threaten us. She did take food away a couple times. And um, that was, that was really, that was traumatizing. As a kid, I had no choice but to shut down and that I had to, to survive. Um, as an adult, I have a different choice, uh, which is awesome. Um, so, and another thing it was interesting, I noticed in my first step was that my mom got a lot of, um, she got a lot of flack for her behavior because it was so overt. I mean, it was so obvious what she was doing but everybody was a part of the system. And that, that's what was interesting to me was that, you know, it was really easy to point fingers at her because she was, you know, yelling, she was falling down drunk, she was doing all of this stuff, but it was like everybody supported this system in one way or another, everybody was a part of it. So um, my childhood, how I was raised, the coping skills that I developed, um, into the laundry list and it was really out of my control. The behavior of my family was really out of my control. And I still have to practice this every day. Um, so um, looking at step two, I like how it talks about the clarity of, um, you know, where I came from. Um, what I'd come, become accustomed to, the type of abuse that I'd become accustomed to, I'm still realizing this sometimes where I'll be like, oh my gosh, that was actually really toxic. Um, and I get that I have to really be vigilant about that quite a bit. Um, the codependency was really big. Um, my marriages were mirrors of, of my relationships with my family, my brother, my mom, and my father all three. Um, looking at my responses, my responses when I was kind of young was to yell, fight, throw things. As I got a little bit older, I started to just shut down and go and settle into that like laundry list type stuff, being per trying to be perfect. Um, and I didn't leave. Like I chose to stay and be loyal to, to these situations that were obviously not good for me. I didn't have really good boundaries and I was really numb to everything that was around me. I would blame a lot. Everybody's feelings were my feelings, my, and vice versa. You know, I was affected by other people's feelings and behaviors and actions. Um, and yeah, realizing the abandonment was a big step for me. I had had a lot of recovery up to this point, but the ACA was really good about pointing out um, the abandonment that came. Um, for me, looking at coming, like developing a higher power, um, of course, as a kid, like I, I really had no foundation for a higher power. We didn't really go to church. We didn't really do a lot of, um, talk about spiritualism. So I, as a kid would, I internalized a lot of stuff. Um, I thought everything was my fault. Um, I had a lot of trust issues when I came to this step. Um, a lot of times my prayer would be for begging for things in times of crisis. And so today my prayers are really like baby step prayers. And I kept seeing that in my yellow um, workbook where I kept seeing gradual. I was kept writing gradual. It was a gradual, gradual step for me. Um, 
again, looking at my higher power, developing what my higher power looks like was really a cool exercise for me because I really had nothing to go on. So it was like, it was for me to choose um, and develop. I really, I never got that before. I never got that I could choose that I could choose that. Um, a tool that I used a lot for step two was um, emotional regulation. And um, I can't, I can't emphasize that enough for me in my recovery is um, checking in with my feelings. For me, I, I do the feelings wheel. And um, I, especially in hard times, I would journal about my feelings every single day. And um, I would do a couple sentences and thoughts that were related to my feelings. But I had to feel those feelings in order to regulate those. And because um, it was so outward, I mean, it was just everywhere. I was all over the place. I mean, it was like vomiting my feelings everywhere. So um, journaling and, and, and looking at that feelings will every single day um, was really, really big for me. So um, another thing that I thought was that um, stuck, stuck with me for, for step two was the acceptance and releasing. Um, anytime I'm looking at like resistance, any kind of, I'm usually like dealing with some kind of control. And so I try and practice acceptance and releasing, accepting the reality of it and releasing it and really trying to practice like being uh, non, non-judgmental about that. Um, again, with step three, the choice was for me. I started to notice myself, uh, ask myself, what is God? Um, what, you know, if God was all of these things, like what, you know, what would that be for me? Um, oh, uh, yeah, another thing I realized in step three was how I had let everybody else be my higher power. So I would let like the gas station attendant was like my higher power, you know, like all of these people had control over my feelings. Like I would give them power over my day. Um, and I started to notice that like, I didn't have to do that. Like I didn't have to do, um, I didn't have to let other people um, dictate how I was going to feel that day. Like I could choose to have something else as my foundation and go to that um, instead of going to, you know, letting like, you know, whatever. I mean, uh, my God as a kid was indifferent and conditional and neglectful at times, uh, just like my parents. But for me, um, Today, I, I keep, you know, it's interesting. I was at a speaker meeting early on in my recovery and the speaker kept saying, uh, I don't even know what she was talking about, but she kept saying, do it for you. People were asking her questions and she kept saying, do it for you, do it for you, do it for you. And I kept, that stuck with me. And ever since then, every time I think about, you know, you know, thinking about my higher power, what would, you know, do it for you, Julie, what is it for you? Do it for you. And I think about that when, um, when I make choices in this program, it's like, do it for you. It's for you. It's for nobody else and your higher power. Um, so, and it's interesting on page 67 of the yellow book, there's um, that list of questions is really cool for helping to guide um, my characteristics of a God, uh, a higher power or God, whatever. 
Um, so for me, my characteristics are um, to be there for me no matter what happens, to never abandon me. I don't have to be perfect, um, refuses to reject me, always accepts me when I can't accept myself, even when I feel unworthy. I can ask God to help release most of my troublesome controlling behavior always and ask for help. God loves me unconditionally. I think this was like the moment for me when I realized that I don't have to do anything, be anything to be loved. Like I kept trying to do, be something to be loved. Like I don't have to do anything at all. Like I can just be here and that's it. Um, and that was a really powerful thing for me. Um, and I needed that for my step four. <laughs> I needed all of that to help me get into the step four. Um, for me, it, the step four was the shame and abandonment. Like I said, I had come through program and I talked so much about the abuse growing up um, and my mom's alcoholism. Like I had talked about like the actual like act of her being intoxicated. Um, but I really didn't talk about the abandonment and the neglect. Um, I like that for me, step four is like, this is what happened to me. This is my story. And here's another way to live. And it's balanced. Um, that's the, that's a big thing. I was so unbalanced in everything I had ever approached. It was like all or nothing, black and white thinking, um, things like that. And there was a lot of feelings, Will, and I, I, uh, feelings work that I did in my step four as well. Um, for me, it's really important to notice my feelings, to identify them, to express my feelings, um, and then to meet a need for that feeling. So if I'm tired, I need to sleep. Like that's a pretty sim simple example. Um, but I do lots of things. And that's what I like about this program is people have such creative ways of expressing their feelings and getting help when they need to get help. Um, you know, I do a lot of art. I do a lot of journaling. I'm very active in my body. That's another thing about the feelings is learning how to, for me, it was learning how to identify, um, the feeling inside my body where it was like, I'm usually like this when I'm stressed. So I'm like, you know, learning to release and relax and breathe. Um, all of the worksheets in the step four are just like, oh my God, they're so overwhelming. <laughs> the laundry list worksheet. I mean, I like identified with all of those. The family secrets, I think was probably the most impactful, the shame, the abandonment, um, the emotional abuse. I mean, all of that. Um, I think what I came out of this realizing is that um, my truth is I deserved better then and I deserve better now. And that's the thing that like, I didn't really realize as an adult is that like, I really do deserve better relationships and I can, I can be a part of that. I think my, on my harms list, um, for me, it was, it was me. I was actively choosing dysfunctional people to heal my past. And then I would get pissed at them when they weren't showing up <laughs> and resentful. Um, but it was like, there was these red flags the whole time that, I ignored, you know, and that's okay. There's a lot that, that went into that, that denial, all of that. Um, but that's what I did. Um, the anger and resentment. Anytime there's anger and resentment for me, I realize um, that there's probably some control um, 
linked to that. And there's, and that's like a clue for me to dig a little bit deeper. Um, I mean, it, it's okay. Like I'm, t I keep telling myself it's okay to be angry. Like I did a whole thing where, um, I tried to go to the rage room and it didn't work out, but, um, <laughs> um, I tried to do things where I could get that anger out, uh, like punching a pillow, things like that, screaming into a pillow, things like that. Cause I really was mad. Like I really was upset. Um, somebody suggested sh throwing, um, here in Arizona, we have a bunch of cit citrus trees, um, throwing grapefruits at a wall, <laughs> things like that, oranges, things like that. Cause I really needed to get some of that physical exhaustion out. Exercise actually really helps me with that. Um, I pretty, active and so sometimes I would just like get all of that that energy out through exercising um but again uh, my part was I married really sick people and I ignored the red flags expecting them to take care of me and that's a big part of what I got out of it uh my fourth step um one of my biggest things my tools that I love about the fourth step was the praise work um, this was the first time anybody had ever prompted me to practice praising and affirming myself. Um, I, I can't say how profound that was for me. And I use this in my reparenting all the time when I start making a contact with my inner kids. It's like, I have to look at the positive things. And it's so interesting because I noticed that now the people that I'm around, um, are really positive. <laughs> it's so strange. I've noticed, anyways, I won't, I mean, I notice who I'm around when I'm in that affirming place. I'm definitely more positive to myself. And then that extends to other people. And then it comes back. And um, I've just started to notice that in my recovery, which has been really, really cool. Um, and my step five, seeing everything that had happened, seeing my part, seeing how I could have been kinder to myself, how I could have made better choices and stopped relying on other people, sick people to take care of me. I wasn't that bad of a person. <laughs> I had actually done a pretty decent job. Um, it wasn't perfect, but I'd done a pretty decent job. I mean, it was kind of, it's kind of a miracle that I'm here, like looking at all of like the childhood stuff, like where I came from, I mean, I got chased by the cops a couple times as a kid. Like, I mean, I was definitely ran with a rough crowd, dated some kind of dangerous guys. And the fact that I'm here today is, is really a miracle. Um, the things I learned about myself is that I could be nicer to myself. I could take care of myself. I could choose to have a different foundation um, and make different choices and have more balance. Um, and I had to grace, face the grief that I had experienced from that childhood. Um, and doing that, doing some of this and using praise work, starting to reparent myself, starting to do some of this um, gave me confidence and it started to see a little bit of a window into my true self. Um, I started to think about the inner kids my sponsor at the time was like, just start talking to her, just start asking questions. I knew the critical parent was like my late, was like a teenager, early twenties, but like, I really hadn't talked to like any, like tried to make contact with any uh, little kids, uh, inner kids. 
so I just started, and, and of course, when I'm talking to my inner kids, I'm thinking about all this trauma that's going, you know, so I'm like um, being super mindful of that. So um, with my step six, looking at my uh, survival traits that had developed into character defects, um, I started to revisit my, because that was a lot to look at the survival traits and how I had, I had developed some of these character defects of like, isolation, per perfectionism, judgmentalness. Um, um, I started to revisit my higher power, my concept of a higher power. And um, for me, there was a, a sense of, of acceptance um, without judgment and, uh, and like an ability to release some of this stuff. It was just a start of wanting to try to like, oh, maybe I can release this. Maybe I can get help with this. Um, yeah, it's hard to look at the laundry list though. <laughs> it, that's a tough one. Um, but for me, it was like writing my emotions without letting them get the better of me and having that confidence to say like, I can do this. Um, I'm probably not going to be great at it sometimes, but I can definitely do this. Uh, when I got to my step seven, um, it was just this, it was like, I can't do this all on my own. I need help. I need help. Um, humbly to me is to think of myself less, less control, less control over my past um, and less control well, in having my past and my present. Um, when I'm caught up in the laundry list, when I'm judging myself harshly, when I'm judging others harshly, um, Usually it leads to unmanageability and I'm usually trying to control. Um, and there's a different way. I don't have to be in my childhood experiences anymore. And I don't have to live in that fear, that shame, that abandonment. So um, a lot of times I'll pray for detachment. Um, oh, praying for detachment to become teachable. And that there are different ways of doing things. Step seven taught me how to pray and to have patience. And I can do this over and over and over again, anytime. And I wanted to read a quote that I have. Um, I have countless um, apps on my phone for <laughs> um, feelings check-in. Um, I have endless meditation apps. I have an app that asks me how I'm doing every day at 10 a.m., how I'm feeling. I have an app that sends me like an affirmation every day. This one I saved, which reminded me of my step seven. Um, patience is a genuine expression of confidence, acceptance, surrender, serenity, and faith in my own ability and that of my higher power. So for me, it's about learning to pray and have patience and trust. Um, so looking at my, um, I'm not sure how I am on time. I think I have a little time, but... Um, looking at my step eight, um, when I behave uh, in a controlling way um, that I do, hang on, looking at times that I, oh, step eight was for me was looking at times that I was not my true self. Um, perfect. Thank you, Adam. Um, and making amends to myself. Of course, I was at the top of that list. Um, 
well, when I first did the, did it, I was at the bottom <laughs> and my sponsor was like, you need to move yourself right up there at the top. I mean, I was terrified of, of making a list. Um, I thought for some reason I was like, I thought I was going to have to like get on Facebook and like start finding people and like <laughs> start like making phone calls and telling people I'm sorry and stuff like that. That was another thing I had apologized. I used to apologize for every, everything all the time no matter what. And, um, I realized very quickly I needed to make amends to myself. Um, I was still acting, I was still behaving like a victim in a lot of ways. Um, and I still, you know, I'm, I still struggle with that, especially with my family. Um, but there were things that I could do better. Absolutely. Um, and I'd seen that, I mean, I made all those lists in the step four, um, but the self-forgiveness was very powerful. And I realized I needed to do that, um, before I could really move on to anyone else. I mean, I was really good at berating myself. I was really good at being cruel to myself. And that was the first time I started to talk to my inner kids about, um, apologizing to them. And I felt really ashamed. I felt really guilty. That was a very humbling moment to like, talk to myself and like, talk to my inner kids and start to have that conversation of like, I'm sorry, I abandoned you. Like I didn't do a very good job. I, um, yeah, that was, that was really, um, humbling. Um, I like this step cause it integrates the laundry list and, um, and it's a much gent gentler way to recover in a much more balanced way. I mean, everything was so, um, harsh for me that I really needed some guidance on how to balance some of this stuff. Um, so I like how it talks about the continuous integration. It's not a one and done. Um, and I'm always looking for way areas where I'm secretly angry and avoiding talking about it. And I still have that. I, I'm still working on that. So, um, and again, the praise work in this step is crucial. It would help me, it, that really helped me to reparent. I noticed that my inner kids really um, uh, respond well to praise. Um, so step nine, making direct amends when possible, except to do so would injure them or others. Um, again, I used to um, apologize for everything, everyone and everything. Um, part of this was self-sabotaging. And it, and it allowed me to accept more abuse. The more I apologized for everything, um, it would like make the relationship one-sided. Um, something that helped me early on was uh, to connect my daily behavior with what I um, experienced oh, in Saul in meetings. So um, for me, I tried to bring my meetings into... Um, my everyday life, that was kind of a helpful way for my behavior because I, sometimes I don't know what I was thinking, but I was like, I'll just go to a meeting and I'll behave there. And then I'll just leave and like be reckless the rest of the time. But once I started to say like, Oh, maybe I can behave the way I behave in meetings. Like, at, I mean, that was a real game changer for me. And that really helped me to not have to like make amends to people all the time because, you know, I was, I was trying to behave like I would in a meeting. Um, so I'm going to kind of keep going because I know I'm, I'm running out of time. Um, step 10 was about boundaries for me. I was very intimidated by boundaries. 
I had no idea. Um, I, um, for me, setting up boundaries is looking at my behavior when I felt good about my behavior and when I didn't feel good about my behavior. And so that helps me keep a clean, a clean slate on my side. Um, and I'm always pretty good about like extending an apology when, when I'm not like being my best self, I'm like, I'll just be like, gosh, you know, I was not my best self and you know, what can I do, um, to make that better? Cause I really, it is important to me and I really do want to get better. Um, but boundaries were really interesting because I had to learn how to take care of myself before I could protect myself from other people. I didn't know how to protect myself. And so I was always constantly doing, I was just like, you know, flailing in the wind basically. Um, and so once I started to learn how to pr protect myself and, and care for myself, then I could, I could say, Oh, that's not okay. Um, the meditation is a big tool for this. I, again, I have so many meditations that I use. This is probably my biggest tool for program is, um, is using meditation. I do a lot of guided meditations. And for me, um, like in my step 11, uh, this is probably the biggest tool that I use um, today. I paid for an app for some reason, if I pay for stuff, then I'll, I'll more, more likely use it. Um, I do meditation every single day. Uh, thank you, Adam. I um, do a meditation in the morning and I do a meditation at night. I do a daily um, reader in the morning. Um, but I literally do meditation all the time. For me, what's important about my meditation is that it teaches me to accept my thoughts and my feelings and release them. Um, but I had to have that emotional regulation first before I could do that. Otherwise, I, I was just feeling like re-traumatized by the don't talk, don't trust, don't, don't feel. So once I was able to own my feelings and feel them, my meditation was, um, became really powerful and that I was able to watch my feelings and my thoughts come and go and not have them over, um, take me over. Uh, when I got into step 12, um, after I did all of this, um, it was a lot. I mean, I needed a little bit of a break from all of this. I really dove into service work, um, after my steps and, um, that was really, uh, cathartic and therapeutic for me. I love how um, how um, the steps are summed up in the end. It talks about step one through three, giving up, four through five, fessing up, six through nine, cleaning up, 10 through 12 is stepping up. And service work is a really big part of uh, my 12th step. I really enjoy doing that. It helps me keep on my... Um, on my path to recovery. And um, I'm passionate about it. I'm passionate about this work. Um, and I, I, I love doing this work. Um, my spiritual awakenings, um, I always thought that, that that always seemed like super grandioso um, for me um, and intimidating. I have had very profound dreams as a result of some of this work. I've had uh, profound dreams making peace with my mom on a beach. Um, I had this um, meditation a couple weeks ago with my dad, where I, he, we were reparenting an old traumatic, uh, memory of him, like leaving me at home, um, while he took my brothers and sisters out for like ice cream or something. 
And um, I walked my inner child through this meditation where we watched him like float down a, a lagoon. And she did this like whole like Forrest Gump wave at him and was like saying bye. And at the end of it, I introduced her to this, um, to a higher power, um, to like a, a you know, a, a different person to look through because I was always looking to my dad. Um, so I've had some definitely profound dreams and meditations that have come out as, as spiritual awakenings. Um, so um, I continue to, to forge new relationships with myself and others, um, seeking love for myself and uh, love is my foundation. So I'll wrap it up. I'm truly grateful to be here and for my experience where I've been and where I'm now. And thank you so much for listening. I hope somebody got something out of this. So thank you. Wow, that was awesome. Thank you, Julie. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.